We've been working our way through uh, the letter in the New Testament to the Romans, which is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul is one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, and he has been writing in this letter, writing to this church in Rome that he did not start, but he hopes to visit, telling them of this beautiful, glorious message of the gospel, uh, that salvation can come to sinners. And this, this message of the gospel is the power of God for salvation to Jews first and also to Gentiles. And the hope of the gospel is that righteousness comes or a right standing with God comes not through anything that we've done. No works, no law keeping. It's totally based on God's free grace and his mercy that's received by faith. And we've seen over the last several chapters, Paul has been saying that this good news message is for everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And Paul has told us that this is important because that means the message needs to go out. Because the means by which God saves and redeems the lost is through his people sharing the good news of the gospel as he works through the proclamation of this news. Uh, but we've seen that uh, as this, that Paul has been telling us about the good news of the gospel, questions have come up. The reasons that questions have come up is because as this message of the gospel has gone out, by and large, the Jews have rejected it. Uh, in fact, as Paul goes around as in, on his missionary journeys, he makes it a point and a pattern to stop in the synagogues first to announce to them, your Messiah has come. God has kept his promises. And how do they respond? They reject him. They kick him out. They beat him. They stone him. They leave him for dead. And Paul takes the message to the Gentiles. And how do the Gentiles respond? Overwhelmingly, in droves, they celebrate that this God would save and redeem them. And the Gentiles are coming to faith. This brings questions. But is this really the, the genuine gospel from the one living and true God? Because if it were, isn't he one who keeps his promises? Why would the Jews be rejecting it? Does this mean that God's word has failed? Or some of the, the Gentiles may be, may be seeing that the Jews aren't receiving it, and they may wonder, well, if the Jews aren't receiving it, then why would we want to? If this is good news message from their God, do we really want to be associated with a God that they're rejecting? Other things that Paul is seeking to address is pride within the Gentiles. Who might think, well, look, maybe God's gotten, he's, he's, he's done with those hard-hearted Jews, and now he's turned his, heart, his, his favor and his love upon us. Paul is seeking to correct all of those things, of affirming the covenant faithfulness of his God, and that salvation comes through his free grace and his mercy, which should lead to humility to all. The question that Paul again brings up this week, he's addressed this question from several angles before, is this. If the Gentiles are coming to faith and the Jews really aren't, does this mean, has God rejected his people? Is he done with the Jews? Well, let's look and what he sees, he says here as he answers this question this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 10 this morning. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 946. Beginning there in verse 1, as we hear from God's Word. 
I ask them, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scriptures says of Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does God reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you that there you reveal to us uh, your truth and that your scripture is living and active and it cuts down to the the deepest parts of our our hearts and our minds. We pray this morning that you would do that. Uh, We pray that we would not be those who have a spirit of stupor, but that you would open our eyes, you would open our ears, that we behold Jesus and hear what you have to say for us, to us this morning. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Uh, kids, if you want to draw a picture this morning, how about this? Uh, Paul mentions here this uh, instance from, uh, from the Old Testament. It's actually from 1 Kings with Elijah. And he talks about there's 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Baal was a false god at that time, and he looked kind of like this, uh, this man with an ox head, this really creepy looking guy. So how about if you draw a picture of that, but make sure you show me there's people that God has saved and preserved who are not bowing the knee to Baal, all right? And bring it up to me afterwards, and we'll hang it on the, on the wall over there. So we're asking, we're answering this question that Paul asks. Has God rejected his people? It makes sense that this question would come up because, like I said, the Jews, by and large, are rejecting this message that Paul proclaims. But notice, Paul's answer, in a straightforward and as strong as he can communicate, has God rejected his people by no means? How is Paul so confident? How can he so strongly say there is no way God has rejected his people? Well, first, let's look and see. Paul is pointing us to the faithful pursuit of God, how he faithfully pursues his people. Notice the evidence that Paul gives us. First, he points to himself. By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, you're asking, has God rejected his people? Well, look at me. I am an Israelite. 
In fact, I'm a descendant from the tribe of Benjamin. God, God hasn't rejected his people. Otherwise, I would not be here proclaiming this good news message. I am proof that God is still at work among the people of Israel. Remember who Paul was. This guy was a terrorist. He had hardened his heart against the God of Israel. Although on the outside he thought he was glorifying and honoring God, he was in opposition to Jesus and he was, per, uh, he was uh, persecuting and pursuing his people to put them to death for proclaiming faith in Christ. And God pursued this one. He pursued one Paul would describe as being the chief of sinners. Do you wonder whether God is done with the Israelites? If you'd have been done with anybody, you thought it would be Paul. But Paul is here, a testimony to the faithful pursuit that God has of his people. And he came and he pursued. Why? Why would he do this? Well, notice what Paul says in verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Here, Paul, again, he's using that language. It's covenant language. It's not talking about God's foreknowledge, because think about it. If it meant that, uh, of, of what God knew in advance, what people in the earth would God not know of? He knows of everybody. But here he's speaking about something in a unique way. Remember, we just, this morning, we, we had a covenant baptism. We saw that God's promises to Abraham. He made the promise to Abraham. He's going to be God to Abraham and to his offspring after him. And this is going to be an everlasting promise, it tells us, in uh, Genesis 17. But then later, in Deuteronomy 7, as God is reminding the people of this promise, listen to what he says. For you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It is not because you are more in number than any other people that Yahweh set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because Yahweh loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that Yahweh has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Here, what is God proclaiming and speaking to his people? He says, I made these covenant promises to Abraham, and I set my love on you. Before you were even in existence, beforehand, I set my love on you, choosing you to be this people for myself, among whom I am going to work. Uh, this is that language, knowledge, of a, a special type of covenant love that he's pouring out. And so Paul is saying, look, God made these promises. How in the world would God, the faithful and loving one, who made these promises, how in the world would he reject the people that he foreknew? Paul says that he wouldn't. Well, how do we see evidence of this? Well, he goes on. Another aspect of Israel's history. Notice, he points to a, a story from 1 Kings. Look there as verse 2 continues. Do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah how he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? 
I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Paul is pointing back to this period of history uh, in, in Israel's life, where at this time the people were by, they had rejected God. They were worshiping the God of Baal. Elijah was being persecuted. Uh, the people at that time, even as Elijah says, they've killed their prophets, they've demolished God's altars, and they're pursuing after other gods. It's widespread, rampant rebellion and unfaithfulness and wickedness from the, the people of God. Does it sound similar to what Paul's facing, to what he's experiencing? God's messengers are being abused and beaten and killed by the Israelites. They're hearing the good news offer that salvation comes through trusting only in the promises of God. Salvation is found nowhere else. And what are they doing? They're rejecting it for another means of salvation. Paul's saying the same thing's happening now. And it might look to your eyes as if God's rejected his people and that nobody is believing in him. But what does the book of 1 Kings tell us? What did God say to Elijah? He says to Elijah, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Back then, in the midst of this great rejection and rebellion against God, he was pursuing his people. This hard-hearted and disobedient people, God was pursuing. And he says, I've kept a remnant for myself. Here, we see what that God is ongoing. He's keeping this promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. In the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness and their rebellion, he's continuing to pursue them. Why? He's made a promise to Abraham. And he keeps his promises. Israel may, may show themselves to be unfaithful, but I will act, I will move, and I will keep for myself this remnant. Israel is rejecting him, but God has not totally rejected his people, and he's keeping his promises. You see, this, this faithfulness, this faithful pursuit of God underscores and highlights his grace. Because, I mean, I mean think about it. Think uh, about the, the story of the people of Israel, or really just humanity in general, from the beginning of time till now. We are characterized by those who reject God. And in fact, the whole story of Israel's existence has been primarily marked not by faithfulness, but by disobedience. Isn't that what God told us at the end of chapter 10? Look in verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, two things should stick out to us there. One, the disobedience and the contrary heart and attitude of the people of Israel. But the other side of it that we should see is the faithfulness of God who in the midst of their rebellion and their rejection, he continues to pursue. He continues to hold out his hands. He continues in his love and his grace to pursue this people, speaking of, to them. 
and reminding them of who he is and that salvation is only found in him. And when they reject him, he acts and he works and he moves and he preserves a people for himself. Notice, it doesn't say that uh, God looked upon Israel and saw that there were some who kept themselves away from Baal. No. Who is the actor here? Who is working? Who is the faithful one? It's God. I have kept for myself. I have worked and moved. Israel was unfaithful and unfaithful and unfaithful. You want to know whether God has, been, has rejected his people? Look around. If there are no Jews trusting and resting in God, in the God of Israel, then you know he's abandoned his promises. But what does Paul say? There's always been a remnant. And it continues down to this day. There's still a remnant. There are still Jews who've placed their faith and their hope in Christ. In fact, uh, the most recent numbers would say there's of the 15 million Jews living in the world today, around 300,000 would profess faith in Jesus. A small, small remnant. In fact, the, our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, is larger than that number of believing and professing Jews who believe and hope in Jesus. But what is that evidence of? God hasn't abandoned his people. He's continuing to work and move through them. Now, what this should show us and remind us of is the faithfulness of our God. That if it weren't for our God, who would be saved? Nobody. Nobody. If it weren't for God's faithfulness in his covenant, none of Israel would be saved. All would bow the knee to Baal. And that is true of me and you as well. Without God's faithful pursuit of us, none of us would rest and hope and trust in Him because it's dependent upon His faithfulness, not ours. His pursuit, He's coming after a contrary people. I mean, we might look at the, the history of Israel and think, oh my goodness, like what does it take for you guys to recognize and understand how faithful He is, how you can trust in Him? how His promises are sure, how every time you pursue after something that's contrary to His Word, how much it messes up your life and the lives of all who are around you. And you might be prone to think, man, you know what? If I was there, I would have believed right at the get-go. God wouldn't have had trouble with me. No, no. You see, it's our faithful pursuing God. And the reason that anyone is believing is because of his grace. Because of his grace. Do you see where, that's where Paul goes. How in the world is it that there is a remnant? How is it that there are some who are believing? Is it because of their goodness? Is it because of their faithfulness? Their morality? Their keeping the law? Their performing? God seeing their good works and their deeds and their faithfulness and saying, you know what? Those are the ones I want on my team. Think about that. If that's the way it worked, and you're, you're starting in Genesis, and you're looking forward into the unfolding history of Israel, if you're going to choose anybody 
Would you choose the people you read about on the pages of the scriptures? I wouldn't. But would he choose you and me based on what we would do in and of our own strength? No. We need the grace of God just as much as Israel did. And that's what God tells us here. Look. So too, at the present time in verse 5, there is a remnant chosen how? By grace. Chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Here, Paul isn't saying that at one time, election and God's salvation of sinners was based on works. And now things have changed. What he's saying is that since election is by grace, there is no more room for works. It doesn't even factor into the equation. Because the only way we can be saved is by God's free grace and mercy, he tells us. It's not through anything that we've done. It's not through any kind of performance. Again, remember, why was this remnant preserved? Because God, and His free grace, and His mercy, and according to His sovereign choice, said, I'm going to preserve these 7,000. And in fact, that's what we see beginning to go on and move. If God doesn't act and work, no one would be saved. Isn't that what Paul's been telling us? Who is good? Chapter 3 told us no one is good. No, not one. All of us have turned away. All of us have gone astray. All of us have rejected God and in fact left to ourselves. We wouldn't want to seek Him at all. What hope is there then? The grace of God. The sovereign mercy of God that he would look on hard-hearted, rebellious, and dead sinners and say, if there's any hope for you, I will move in and work, and I will choose, and I will save, and I will redeem, and I will bestow my grace upon you and do what you cannot and you would not unless I acted. What good news is this? Do Do you hear this? That this love of God, this salvation of God, is not based on what you have done. Nothing you have done is totally based on Him. Now, how does that move us to love and delight in our God more? How many of you this week have failed God? How many of you have not lived up to your profession of faith in Christ? How many of you have brought shame and dishonor to the name of your God? How many of you have thought things you shouldn't have, said things you shouldn't have, done things you shouldn't have? How many of us have not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength? How many of you have loved your neighbor as yourself? Now, I don't know about you, I've failed that test. And if my salvation was based on my works, there is no hope. But the good news is, is it's not based on works. 
It's based on the free grace and love and mercy of our God. And so you sitting here today who've placed your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, you can rest confident knowing that your salvation is secure in him. That God's love of you is secure. Why? Because it's never been based on what you've done. It's only based on Christ. And God says that he loves you. God says that he's chosen you. God says that he's poured out his love on you. So just as you don't enter into the Christian life based on what you do, you don't maintain your relationship with God based on what you do. It's a work of God's grace from beginning to end, and you stand secure in the faithful pursuit and the gracious grace that your God heaps and pours out on you. But notice here, God makes a, a distinction. Remember, there's, in speaking of Israel, he says there's a remnant that believes, a remnant that is trusting. What about, what about the rest? What about the others? Notice what he says. What then, in verse 7, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. What was it seeking? Remember we saw what Paul has talked about this before in chapter 9 and in chapter 10. They were pursuing righteousness or right standing with God through their performance, through what they could do by keeping his law. And what God says is it doesn't come that way. It only comes through trusting in Jesus. Righteousness comes through faith alone. So Israel did not receive that righteousness they were seeking of, by and large. Or in other words, they weren't saved. At least not all of them. Some were. The elect obtained it. The elect, chosen by God, in His free grace and His mercy, not based on what they've done, they've obtained that righteousness through faith. But the rest, the rest were hardened, Paul tells us. Hardened. Who did, who did this hardening? And why would they do this hardening? Notice what Paul says. The rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Who is the one that hardens sinners? Paul says here it's God. It's God who is doing this hardening work, this electing and this saving work and this hardening work among his people. That's what he's been telling us all through chapters 9, 10, and 11. God has mercy on whom he has mercy, and he hardens who he hardens. He saves and he redeems those that he will save by his grace and his mercy, and he condemns and leaves in judgment those who he chooses and who persists in their rebellion against him. And notice, God here, he's not being unfaithful to his people. He's doing exactly what he said that he would do. Look over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Listen to what God says. 
You are a people holy to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that Yahweh set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because Yahweh loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That Yahweh has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of, the Pharaoh, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that Yahweh your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate them by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. God promised that those who rebel against him, he would judge. He would... Further, as we see Paul explaining, God hardening their hearts. He giving them a stupor. Closing their eyes and their ears even more. Why would God do this? Well, think about it. We're all sinners. The gracious thing that God does to sinners, the favor that we don't deserve, would be to open up our eyes to our deep need and the sufficiency of Jesus. But what do we deserve? Not that. What we deserve due to our rebellion is for God to say, that's how you want to respond to me? You want to live your own life? You want to rebel? Well, then I'll give you over fully to it and experience the consequences and the depth of your rejection. And that's what we see God doing here. Israel is rejecting him. And because of this rejection, he gives them over fully and even more to their their hard-heartedness and their rebellion. Saving some, further condemning, and justly hardening others. In fact, look at what David says there in verse 9. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. David here in this psalm that's being quoted, he is the anointed one, the king over Israel. And he is being rejected by the nations in this psalm? No. By those who would profess faith in the God of Israel, they are rejecting God's covenant king. And David says what they deserve is God's justice and his wrath. You see, just outwardly being a part of God's people doesn't guarantee your salvation. It's faith. It's hope. It's resting and trusting in Christ. And what has Israel just done? 25 years before this, letter is written. David's greater son entered into the people of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth. God the Son taking on flesh, coming as the king. And what did Israel do? They rejected him. They slaughtered and murdered and crucified God's chosen king. And if justice and wrath was deserving of the one who would reject David, how much more so one who would turn a hard heart and a disobedient mind to the one living and true God. And Paul says, this is what's going on. Is it due to God's unfaithfulness? No. Who's failed? Look at what it says in verse 7. Israel failed. Israel is to blame. 
They are the covenant breakers. God is the covenant keeper. What does this mean for us this morning? Well, it means that we should not go around presuming that just because you've been marked with the waters of baptism, just because you are a member of the church, just because you come in and sing songs of praise to God, that that means you're good to go. That's what Israel was doing. They sang the psalms. They prayed the prayers. They gave the money. They tried to do good deeds. And God's saying, if you don't listen to what I'm saying and call out to Jesus for salvation, then you will not be saved. In fact, if you persist in your rebellion and your rejection to me, I will harden your heart and you will not believe. And I'll harden your eyes and you will not see. And a spirit of stupor will come upon you and you will be hardened in judgment. So what does that mean? If you're here today professing to be a believer in Jesus and you recognize and you know, I'm just doing it outwardly. I'm not submitting myself in faith and in obedience to King Jesus. Do you hear him today? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to turn and repent and hope in Christ. Because you're a member of the covenant community. Great privileges have been given to you. Do not persist in rebellion and hard-heartedness because God in His faithfulness to His covenant will harden your heart, Paul tells us. But if you hear Him today, turn, call out to Jesus, and salvation will be yours. The other thing, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm already placed my faith and trust in Christ. I'm hoping in Him. Then may we know and see the reason I'm believing, the reason I'm hoping and resting in Jesus now is not because of me. It's because of God's grace to me. It's not because I was smarter and figured it out. And the atheists out there and the pagans out there and the false worshipers out there just couldn't get their act together. But I figured it out. No. It's the mercy of our God. May it move us to humility and trust and hope in Him. If you're here this morning and you would say, well, I don't fit in any of those categories. I'm not proclaiming to be a Christian. I'm just here trying to check things out and figure out what's going on. Well, hear what God is saying. He is the one living and true God. Salvation only comes through Him. You're hearing His offer this morning. It's not based on what you do. It's looking to Jesus in faith. Will you hear His call? Will you hear His invitation? Will you hear the God who is holding out His hands and pleading in love and calling you to come to Him for salvation? Would you hear? Would you respond? Would you believe? He keeps all of His promises and He will not turn away those who look to Him in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the good news and the hope of the gospel. We thank You that Jesus saves sinners. We thank you that this gospel that we proclaim and see, this power of God for salvation, comes to us by grace alone. May our trust be in Jesus and only Jesus. Amen.